Hey everyone, welcome to the 87th edition of DF Direct Weekly. It's our weekly show where we discuss the latest gaming and technology news. Lots of topics to get through this week and I'm joined by my usual panel. First of all, John Linderman. Hey Rich, I'm sitting here with a uh, Tiger Gamecom in hand, ready for some action. I've got okay. the Lost World Jurassic Park in there. Ooh, lights out, I don't know if you guys played classic. it. No. But anyway. <laughs> it sounds like an essential experience. Gotti material, perhaps? Possibly, possibly. Okay, excellent. And of course, Alex Batalia. Yeah, I don't have any rare and obscure gaming devices, just a, just a smartphone. But yes, I'm excited to talk about all the topics today, and yeah. <laughs> Here I am. Fair enough. Just just a smartphone. Just, just a, a smartphone. smartphone. Sorry. <laughs> Let's move on to our first news topic of the week. So it's been announced. We've got a release date. Um, the Witcher 3 is getting its uh, next gen, I guess, current gen patch. Um, a whole bunch of uh, improvements announced. Release date, of course. Um, but I'm kind of getting the feeling that there's still a lot of mystery here, uh, but not too long to wait until we actually get some answers, right? December the 14th is when we'll actually get code. Um, John, thoughts? Well, so it's difficult to form too much of an opinion based on what little they've shown, but that initial screenshot with the announcement in it, if we take that to be a screenshot of the enhancements, uh, some users on Twitter were very quick to draw up a comparison using the current PC build at the maximum settings. And the only thing that seems to have changed is ray traced shadows, perhaps for which affects small details, such as pebbles and other little intricacies within the scene, uh, which is interesting. Like the skylighting's the same. There's not really any significant difference there. So I'm really wondering what to, to what degree this is really going to be improved. And it does suggest that, as the name suggests, that it is kind of something that was architected primarily for the new console. Well, the I say new consoles, but they're two years <laughs> old, but the current <laughs> consoles. Because, you know, Cyberpunk was a masterclass in ray tracing on the PC, but then when it finally got its so-called next-gen upgrade, the ray tracing features there were uh, relatively limited, just like local shadows, essentially. And... I, I don't know. Did you guys was was there anything suggesting that there's going to be more to the ray tracing than just this? Because well, that's what I wanted to see. Like, is there going to be like actual PC features here? That uh, uh, I think. Well, there there's two hints that it could be the case. Uh, is that when it was the NVIDIA Gigaton leak? The what did I call it? Jensen's prophecy. <laughs> Jensen's uh, prophecy, prophecy uh, had the game name in the database as Witcher RTX, oh, okay. or the Witcher 3 RTX. Uh, so that's a, an interesting thing. Uh, and another thing is that the game will be supporting DLSS and DLSS 3. Um, mm. The need for those technologies in the Witcher 3, even with something like Ray Trace Shadows, I mean, it would be nice, but it feels like you have stuff like DLSS 2 or 3 in place if you want to do something more uh, visually. Uh, I would say DLSS 2 would just be there to improve image quality, honestly, over what they had originally, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, this came out at the time when, like, TAA wasn't even uh, completely, how do you call it, um, like ubiquitous. A mature technology. not mature. Yeah. Yeah, it was not mature. And this had, like, very rudimentary TAA. It's kind of yeah. like a really bad version of SMAA T2X. Um, yeah, it's not good. It's not good. So that would be great. The other things that are listed here, I really do, by, by the way, I hope, like, what John is saying is true, that there is more than just ray trace shadows because 
the game the game's original lighting scheme was fully real time all the time and that is like the perfect game type to just throw in rtgi into of any sort and it'll look so much better so much better i mean to be fair though alex uh, their materials i would say were never top tier in that game unlike cyberpunk so there is you you, it will never look as stunning obviously given its roots but rtgi would still i think help a lot as you say yeah, for sure, for sure. And that's what I would hope happens on the PC version, but we'll have to wait and see. There's some other things um, pointed out here. Faster loading times on consoles is a very interesting. Um, I didn't realize they were so long on the, the next-gen consoles, like when you load up the game in BC, but perhaps they are. Um, and they also mentioned a variety of mods being included into the experience. Well, the mods on PC, there are quite a lot of them, but the ones that people usually um, point out to uh, to look into are some of like the combat enhancement mods, uh, some of the camera mods, as well as um, just like generic quality of life things. Like at some point in the game, like you realize like all the stuff you're collecting that isn't just like sets of armor and Witcher sets of armor is pretty useless. Like the game, the game mm-hmm. has a lot of stuff that you just pick up and it doesn't really do much of anything of interest. And maybe, and like, you know, it, it, like you can just like randomly eat food in the middle of a battle and gain all your health back. There's a lot of things that The Witcher 3's balance wise was not so great about. And I'm curious about which mods they would even integrate into the experience because The Witcher 3 was quite different than The Witcher 1 and 2. Like in The Witcher 1 and 2, um, you had to like prepare for battle uh, by like taking potions before battle usually started, and in The Witcher Three, you could just like just toss them back in the middle of combat, and it, and it didn't make any sense, obviously. Uh, so I'm very <laughs> curious to see if they make this actually a rather different basic combat gameplay experience, or if it's just stuff like, oh, uh, you can wear the cat school armor, but it has the um, you know, like the, uh, how do you call it? The stats of bear school armor or something like that. Just like really boring mod stuff. I'm curious if this is actually actually game-changing kind of stuff. Well, they're making a big deal about it from a marketing perspective. And I guess for the uh, current generation consoles, they are mirroring the feature set of uh, Cyberpunk. I would assume there's going to be a 60 FPS mode, and I'm assuming there's going to be uh, RT at 30 with higher resolution and stuff like that. Um, PC-wise... Let's hope for the best that they're actually going to be doing something similar, which is to say that, you know, the Cyberpunk 2077 feature set gets ported over uh, in the way that uh, the shadows were for the consoles. So, you know, I'm kind of broadly optimistic there. They they do seem to be doing quite a lot of work. I mean, we're still waiting for the Cyberpunk Overdrive RT upgrade. But, you know, this is forward-looking stuff from CD Projekt Red, and I'm sure NVIDIA have got a um, a vested interest in helping out those guys to actually push the game into um, what they consider the next generation, which is to, you know, fully exercise ray tracing feature sets. And, you know, DLSS, DLSS3 integration is a, um, a an enabler for that. But, you know, I'm kind of thinking, well, you know, obviously we've we've not had any kind of We've we've had the teaser of one screenshot, right? There's um, yeah, yeah. We're we're going to get a stream apparently, which is going to um, go into more depth. But you know, let's hope that we get more from the PC side. Um, but in in the here and now, <laughs> we just don't know, do we? We got one screenshot <laughs> to go. Wow. Off. 
and a <laughs> and a press release which is severely <laughs> lacking in detail yeah but you know so we're going to be all over this one i guess tom will be handling the consoles and um uh, pc wise well hopefully alex you'll be uh, available to take a look at this one right yeah it's it's coming it's kind of, like i do hope we get it before december the 14th like seriously press review build of some sort because uh december the 14th is like getting ever so dangerously close to when everyone's going on holiday and there's going to be already a mad dash at df to make sure we have holiday content and all these other things uh and just having like this is like a bigger video usually presume the changes are drastic uh so I do hope we get it beforehand. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, that's literally all we can say about it at the moment, but I'd say that we're kind of cautiously excited about it. Um, Alex, you were talking about the uh, existing GI system uh, in the game actually being basically real-time already. So it, you, we're kind of hoping that it it could be ray-tracing upgrades there, right? Yeah, because like the original system was like... So when they originally showed off the Witcher... That one time the downgrade stuff happened, they had like hand-placed little GI probes and cube maps all over the areas they were showing. It looked super detailed as a result, the lighting. Um, there was like bounce lighting in there that was pretty obvious. In the game, when they put it out, they would have artist-selected zones where they would place like one cube map and it would update in real time as the time of day was moving. And they'd be at very specific points in the world, like one of the gates in front of... Um, Novigrad is the name of the city, mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah, right? Novigrad. One of, like one of the gates there. Uh, they they did a presentation on this. I think it was in Polish though, so it might have been at Digital <laughs> Dragons. Uh, but there was translations of it. I don't speak Polish, um, and they uh, and they would be at, like specific points in the world, and so you could see a little bit of bounce light, and the armor would look better at different times of day. But that was really about it. That is such a generic base system that, for example. Uh, Take a look at Crisis 2 versus Crisis 2 Remastered about how different that looks due to the fact that Crisis 2 originally just had cube maps and then Crisis 2 Remastered is like, uh, you know, uh, sparse voxel, Octree Global Illumination. Spoggy. Like, Spoggy. Uh, and how much of a big difference that makes. Uh, you could get a very similar difference between the games. Uh, I would here. say, though, I still maintain that time of day shifting is overrated and results in more ugly times of day than it does actually something that looks good. <laughs> yeah, and I would I would prefer specifically in the Witcher or <clears throat> not just the Witcher, but in general. I feel like you often end up with these ugly bluish looking nights that are never great looking that last too long. <laughs> uh you've got the beautiful golden sunshine in the morning and the evening at sunset or sunrise. And then you have, you know, mid-afternoon like around noon. That's a tough um lighting uh, thing to simulate right like it just mm -hmm. it's tough to make that look good unless you have a really robust solution and i don't know i mean i know why they do it here but i really would without really high-end real-time gi i feel like pre-baked uh times of day tend to produce more stunning results and that's one of the reasons why aside from its horrendous lot issues i think assassin's creed unity still has the most visually attractive lighting of that entire series and once they shifted to the real-time time of day changing, it looked a lot worse in that regard. Yeah, yeah. There's, if there's one thing I'll say about The Witcher 3 is that at least uses its time of day in the gameplay. I know, you're right, there's it like, does. There's like different monsters and stuff like that outside at night. Yeah, and, yeah. no, you know, I, I know. I understand why they did it. They at least use it, it but yeah, but, I get exactly what you're saying. I think we've talked about this like a hundred times. Yeah, it just it keeps coming <laughs> back though. And 
I mean, I just see it in so many games, including the rather excellent switch port of arc the new version of arc that we just covered alex like mm-hmm. it's very impressive but there's certain times of day that just don't look good <laughs> no, it's like it would be better if it was just static times of day to well i guess not because it's again sometimes it's used for gameplay but it's usually not i would argue Mm-hmm. So I remember doing a time lapse for Assassin's Creed Syndicate, you know, uh, various spots around uh, Victorian London. And uh, what amused me was that um, in areas like uh, Big Ben that had a clock, at nighttime, the clock suddenly sped up more than it did during the day. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, so basically, it's sort of like the developer thinking, yeah, perhaps the night isn't so good. Let's get it out of the way as quickly yeah, as yeah, possible. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, let's move on to the next news topic. Um, So good news here. Obviously, uh, Unreal Engine 5 is going to be a dominant technology going forward in actual uh, next generation or, dare I say it, current generation gaming. Um, The technology has been looking absolutely spectacular in the demos that we've seen, but there's also been a number of limitations with that technology um, as far reaching as it is. And um, a couple of those limitations have been, you know, stuff like um, foliage not being possible in the nanite uh, sort of microgeometry system. Uh, secondly, there have been big concerns about whether 60 frames per second titles will actually be possible on consoles. And um, there have been a couple of updates this week from Epic about Unreal Engine 5.1. And um, it, on the face of it, looks like good news on various counts, right, Alex? Yeah, so let's talk about that first one you mentioned. Uh, It was one of the things that I talked about when they initially showed off Nanite and Lumen uh, on that PlayStation 5 um, demo all back in the day. It was just like rocks. It was just like rocks. It was lots of rocks. Just tons of rocks. And like, uh, yeah, that was it. And the question was like, okay, so what about trees and grass and all these other things which are usually done through a very different way in games like usually those things aren't like real geometry they're like masked off geometry that it's like just usually like 2d placards that then they mask off and it says oh that is uh that is a leaf even though a leaf is actually a real 3d object uh so that like the question was always how will they support that uh based upon their system of how it works and they've introduced something called uh, world position offset which is like programmable software rendering of uh like nanite geometry and it's used particularly uh, it can be used for a number of things but the the thing that they're demoing it off right with now is foliage uh so that means nanite uh, supported foliage that means it can be used in a nanite way which is like tons of instancing i guess uh, presumably that's what i assume it what it means uh you can tons of instancing that it slots in with lumen in a more natural fashion uh you don't have to have like special setups for a lot of things but it's still in beta uh, because it probably has a ton of bugs uh, but i imagine they're going to work to get that uh, a lot better which this is good because um it makes open world games uh that are targeting ue5 have like a more holistic solution for solving the the, the foliage problem uh, well the, the witcher is moving to ue5 right yeah uh, the witcher, for its yeah. next for its next iteration and the concepts that you'd have an open world that couldn't tap into nanite because it <laughs> required foliage and grass and things like that that's problematic. So it's yeah. great to see that there are actual sort of strides being made to address that. And it, you know, if we look at the demos we've seen to date, two of them have been based around stone, one of them around a city. And yeah, uh, yeah no, no trees or foliage. Well, the good sight. news is that we Richard already announced that that he was moving to Unreal Engine. Now you can put <laughs> yeah. a plant in your office. <laughs> you can do it. 
yeah. There's still a lot yeah. of things that uh, Nanite doesn't support. Still, like skinned geometry for characters. Right. It, it, you know, it doesn't support also terrain. Like the way they did terrain before was like actually a pretty. I'm gonna argue like this is probably not the way you should be doing terrain in an open world game where they just had a bunch of meshes that were static and small and they kept like changing the sizes of them and kit bashing them. Like that is a pretty inefficient way to build an open world because it's like an artist doing every right. single thing versus yeah. like open world generation is usually like you have like simulated river flows and like you know canyons that are sculpted by wind like things like that you do offline and like simulation programs and then you bring them in as a height map or something like that yep. um so that stuff is still not supported but i imagine it's still on the docket um and the other thing that we should probably talk about that rich also mentioned here too it's in their really awesome um they have a number of uh, uh, change logs here, but their change log for Unreal Engine 5.1 that talks about uh, the targeting of 60 FPS uh, for Unreal Engine 5 on consoles uh, is set in stone right now with the high preset that they're um, going to be enabling uh, for developers. And obviously you could try it out yourself too. That adjusts the quality of things like um, virtual shadow maps, Lumen and Nanite itself uh, to run better at or try and achieve 60 FPS targets on console level hardware, which means basically PS5 and Xbox Series X. Um, and we have a, a pretty good sense of what that means, at least in terms of uh, the scaling for Lumen, uh, based upon a presentation done at SIGGRAPH to get it uh, running a lot better. Um, uh, they try they try and adjust the quality of uh, lumen reflections and lumens uh, diffuse uh, global illumination and that is by the original preset was uh, targeting 1080p internally on PlayStation 5 with one-fourth uh, rays per pixel so it's like one-fourth resolution um, lighting and reflections which is pretty typical that's like what we also saw in um, uh, how do you call it Watchdogs, uh, Legion's uh, reflections. Mm -hmm. It's also what we saw in Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition on console. Those were also one-fourth ray per pixel. Pretty common thing to do on console, and it can look pretty darn good. And we, as we already saw in the Matrix and all these other demos, it looks pretty great. Um, for their 60 FPS high mode, they're moving it to 1 16th res, um, which um, I think for diffuse things, like like... Like for like Lumen in the Land of Nanite, that original demo where it's just like really diffuse objects and not a lot of detail, uh, I think it can still look really good for those surfaces. But for anything that is like a lot of occluding stuff or anything that is glossy, let alone reflective, uh, it's going to be pretty, I don't know, uh, we can maybe do a test for that and see what it looks like. But I imagine 1 16th resolution lighting doesn't look too good for a number of surfaces. Uh, so the, as a part of their uh, change log here, they're mentioning that they still want to get it up to quote-unquote acceptable quality. So we'll see what that is in the meantime. Uh, but it could lead to a very interesting situation where the high and the epic modes here, like the 30 FPS and the 60 FPS targets, actually look pretty different, which is something we're not used to seeing in a lot of games, like the 60 FPS mode looking really different than the 30 FPS mode of a game. Uh, sometimes it's just like, I would say like in something like Spider-Man Remastered, it still looks really good in the 60 FPS mode, but maybe we'll be seeing like greater cutbacks in Unreal Engine 5 games. But, mm, but that's all I have to report on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you've got to report after a five-minute monologue. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, basically, it's um, it's it's basically good progress, right? It's addressing some of the key things that we wanted to see addressed, and um, you know, 
has got to be addressed really to encompass all game types. I'm kind of curious what the implications would be for Series S. Maybe the 60 FPS side of things is just off the table, which would kind of, kind of make sense, right? Yeah. But you know, we just I'm, have to wait and see. Really. I'm more curious about less about those consoles and more about the implications for games in development right now. We're already two years into this cycle, right? Unreal Engine 5 projects projects are well underway. Mm. And we're still getting some of these potentially critical features included. They're just starting to appear, right? Uh, so I'm wondering how these teams approach this. It's like, okay, we have a, a game that needs a lot of foliage or we need this or that. And we had to come up with a way to do it this way. And now suddenly the feature that you wanted arrives and you're already deep into the project. Do you rip everything out and redo it this way? Or like, I'm very curious to see how this actually impacts the people making this stuff. That's a good question, John. It is coming in. I mean, these are pretty big things, right? And they're coming in pretty late. And I guess we still don't know when the first actual UE5 game will ship, right? And that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, it's still a long ways off because originally it was going to be Stalker. And then obviously that was delayed as they announced. Um, and now I have no idea what the next release could even possibly be. Uh, did they I assume Hellblade it? 2 will probably be next year. Oh, that's a good point, because we've already seen a good be. deal about that. And they've shown that off at 30 FPS so far. Yeah. Um, nothing at 60. That is very interesting. And they also didn't show off any... Um, the game takes place in, like, Iceland or yeah. whatever. They didn't show off any foliage either. I mean, maybe so... they picked those environments <laughs> for that reason. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see. <laughs> okay fair enough so lots going on in epic land and um exactly. yeah obviously there's also going to be uh, uh those fixes for shader compilation which yes we've talked about so many times we've but talked yes. about so many times now i don't think we need to do it again i mean rich i i do want to comment real quick on it because i've been doing a lot more pc gaming this month and i've been feeling the brunt of it lately like i i'm always aware of alex's complaints and i'll load it up and test like, yeah yeah whatever uh, but when you're actually trying to enjoy a game when it happens, it is so unbelievably distracting. Like I tried to play Scorn, which is Unreal Engine, and just the sheer volume of stutters, like using like a 4090, the GPU is barely being taxed. The CPU is sitting at like 3% usage. <laughs> you're not using much memory. Like every, all the resources are very low, but you get these PSO stutters and they're, they're nasty and just all around. And, due to the number of bespoke animations in this game and unique situations, at least so far, it kind of feels like you're just constantly headbutting up against these things. Mm-hmm. And for something that relies heavily on atmosphere and not something you replay, uh, it's really damaging to the experience and it sucks. I mean, yeah, yeah like we've been saying. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it basically strikes, strikes at the heart of PC gaming as far as I'm concerned, because um, ultimately you shouldn't be having like split second stutters. Nope. Um, and it doesn't matter how good the graphics look, right? Nope. <laughs> yeah. The worst so, looking game can have them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, the, the smoking gun, when thankfully it has been fixed, but the smoking gun was the beginning of the Sackboy review that Alex did, yeah. where, you know, you had all of these nice iterative extras on the PC side and it made, it, you know, it didn't help. You know, the, the PlayStation version just looked better simply by virtue of the fact that it moved smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's not a big ask, is it? It's not a big then, ask here. You know, I, I reinstalled Gears 5, which I had never installed on this computer. There were no compiled shaders anywhere. And I was just, again, amazed at how well they handle that, right? 
that's one of the few Unreal Engine 4 games I've played where it just it just works super well. It's very smooth. I was scratching at 8K resolutions as well and still getting like around 60 FPS on this thing. Uh, 120 is a cakewalk. Uh, the game is so well optimized. So they really did some amazing work that very few other Unreal Engine 4 games have ever come close to offering. I hope yeah. they, they continue that as well. The one thing I want to mention regarding uh, PSO compilation stuff and uh, Unreal Engine 5.1 is that they did, as part of their post here, their changelog post, they mentioned it very explicitly, and there's a good paragraph about it. And they mentioned that um, the idea is that uh, it'll be do done automatically on background threads now, and it doesn't necessarily require the manual process of QA playing through the game. So you can just export a game, and it'll do it automatically on background threads. But one thing is that they say it'll do that, and it'll do it at the moment when it is loaded into memory, and not when it's displayed on screen. So it should hopefully prevent stutters. But it doesn't say it won't. It will prevent stutters because it still requires manual markup. Um, it requires manual markup for objects. For example, if an object is loaded at the same time as it's displayed, which is wholly possible, by the way, that's like totally a thing that can happen. Um, it'll cause a PSO stutter because that object needs to be manually marked up as as displaying late. It needs to be said, oh, don't display it, and instead asynchronously have the shutter, the, the stutter not load. Uh, you know, it, it, have them not be one and the same thing. And I'm really afraid <laughs> that we're going to see kind of just like, I'm going to use a bad word here, half-assed implementations where, yeah, the game doesn't stutter that much, but it still stutters. I'm a little worried about that. I don't like the idea because as we've already seen with uh, Unreal Engine 4, anything that requires manual work does definitely not guarantee that it's going to be done for a lot of games. So yeah, uh, another thing they also mentioned is that you can use the existing system. You can combine like a manually set up cache that is done by QA and combine it with the asynchronous stuff, uh, which is probably the best situation in the end where that's how I hope developers would do it, where like, as you're loading up the game the first time, a bunch of them are chewed in the background, and as, as you're playing the game, asynchronously done on threads. That's the way Spider-Man does it, and I think that's pretty great. Um, so we'll see. We'll just have to see. Well, well I think we're going to need uh, to keep raising awareness, because this concept of having QA collecting them it obviously isn't happening on a ton of titles yeah right? huge ton of titles yeah. so and yeah. you know it is the case just to stress this doesn't happen on console because it's all taken care of it's a fixed platform those mm -hmm. shaders will be you know mm -hmm. the same from machine to machine but on pc it's a completely different story and as we've pointed out in the past even though there are solutions incoming um it's going to be down to the developers to actually go back to patch older titles and i think you raised this as a point alex which is that we're looking potentially at like you know a few years worth of of games a black spot in the pc library mm -hmm. where games don't do this they don't get patched to to do it and basically you're left with uh, poor legacy versions of the game games that will be persisting long beyond the console versions even potentially oh my gosh that is the truth of the matter though yeah that is. not great um, but there it is. But, you know, certainly promising signs that Epic have seen the problem and are addressing it. But it's not seemingly the, the complete cure, but certainly big progress, right? Um, let's move on to the next news topic. So this week, um, it's been the case that uh, we had the reviews drop for the RTX 4080. Mine went out there. Everybody's went out there, basically. Um, and we had 
Um, I don't know. It's kind of curious, really. Going into this one, everybody knew everybody knew that the pricing was going to be off on this unless there was some kind of massive performance win that we weren't previously aware of. Uh, there wasn't a massive performance win. It turned out to be closer to RTX 3090 Ti than it was to 4090. Mm -hmm. And I think the big surprise from my perspective was that the 4090 in RT workloads proved to be far more capable than the pricing suggested. So that was not great. Um, however, we do now have news, um, rumours really, but I suspect they're close to the truth, that the RTX 4080 12 gigabyte, the unlaunched quote unquote card, is going to be launching now in early January, might well be renamed to the 4070 Ti, which would make sense. Mm -hmm. And um, assuming there's going to be a price cut from its mooted 899, this card starts to make a bit more sense. I don't know what you think, Alex. Uh, it, it makes more sense based on the thing that we were just talking about um, right before we started recording is that you mentioned that like DLSS3 in its current state uh, just got an update, by the way, um, that is kind of not so useful on the 4090, at least, because you're already at 4K 120 FPS and most <laughs> with mostly everything cranked uh, with the normal DLSS2 in quality mode. And that's, that's pretty much the sweet spot to be in any game anyway, so why even use DLSS3? Uh, but for something like the 4070 Ti, whatever it's going to be called, uh, as you go down the stack, it becomes more and more useful because all of a sudden you can turn everything up to those 4090-like settings and still get a really good experience in terms of frame rate and input latency uh, with DLSS3. So it, it becomes much more compelling down the stack. But the thing that I'm still totally un unhappy with is that just this, like, the generic, oh, I don't know, like, if it is, it's not going to be 899 let's just say it's $799. Uh, that is quite a price hike versus whatever the 3070 Ti was before, let alone the 3070. And it implies as well, too, that 70-tier cards are 12 gigabytes of RAM, uh, and the 4080 was 16 gigs. And then that means the 4060 will be 12 or 8? 4060, um, I think we could assume, would likely be a 3070 successor. Um, the question is really how price versus performance is going to scale down the stack. Um, I think the thing that I'm, I'm kind of now, I mean, first of all, uh, something that I didn't mention in the review, and I think we do need to, to, to stress this, is that the cost of making these things has gone up, right? So the concepts that you're going to get, you know, like the same kind of generational increases, price versus performance in the past, it's not happening, right? It's not happening on AMD. It's not happening with NVIDIA. It's not happening certainly more so with, with NVIDIA based on these prices uh, for the 4080, which is kind of crazy for, for what we got. Um, but the, the fact is that we are in really choppy waters economically on two fronts. First of all, five nanometer or four nanometer. Uh, the wafers are expensive. The production process is much more expensive. We know this is the case. We've been flagging it for two years now based on Microsoft's comments about why they made the Series S. They, they made the Series S because making these chips is more expensive. They don't think they can price reduce the Series X. And uh, that's why we had Series S. So we can't have the same kind of generational leaps that we've had in the past uh, to the same degree. 
And then what I don't think anybody was able to predict was COVID and um, basically the massive leap in inflation we've had as a result of all of this extra money that was pumped into the economy. So again, that's an, another pressure that we've had. So look, I'm not expecting um, the same kind of generational leaps, price versus performance that we've had in the past, right? Because feasibly it can't, it, it can't be done, right? But what I didn't expect was the 40, 80, um, 16 gig to offer the performance it did for the price it did. And they have been upstaged by AMD, assuming AMD's performance claims come to pass. However, looking at the 4070 Ti, assuming it is a 4070 Ti, uh, based on the numbers NVIDIA put out, it's about 20% faster than a 3080. You're going to get DLSS 3. And, you know, it's going to be hopefully 799 versus 699. You get two extra gigs of RAM, which is starting to become more crucial at the moment. So if you've got a 3080, it doesn't make sense to buy this. But let's say you've got a 2080 or 2070. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see if there are better deals to be had. That's That's the point I think I'm going to be making. Price versus performance is kind of more realistic with this product. And that's kind of the point I want to make there. Um, and also, as you know, we were talking about this before recording. Um, DLSS 3 has just uh, received, a, I'd consider it a major upgrade. We'll talk about that shortly. But as you said, Alex, when you've got a 4090, <laughs> it, it doesn't really do that much for you if your uh, screen is 120 hertz limited. So yesterday I was testing the new DLSS 3, and it was the case that you know frame rates were interchangeable between DLSS 2 and DLSS 3 um, with this new uh, frame rate cap that it's got. But once you get down to 4070 Ti level, DLSS 3 becomes a lot more meaningful. We'll talk about this a lot more once we actually reach that particular news topic. So I'm going to be really interested to see how all of this plays out because there is a certain degree of realism that we have to accept in terms of pricing going up. Consoles are going up, right? The price of consoles is going up. It's not as if it's limited to NVIDIA ripping us off or AMD ripping us off. I mean, just to reiterate, 7900 XT, it's like, I think, you know, 35% more expensive than 6800 XT, which is its equivalent from the last gen stack. So we need to be a bit realistic on pricing, but at the same time, I still can't justify the 4080 16 gig. And um, there was uh, there was again sort of the, the sort of Twitter bubble um, yesterday. It was there was all doom and gloom because everybody was saying 4080 had sold out. Nvidia was one. Certainly not in the UK. I can get a 4080 easily days on from launch. I looked at Newegg on the new on the US side of things. A few sold out stickers there, but you can still buy a 4080. So, you know, it's all to play for, I think, uh, yeah. in terms of that particular uh, segment. I'm, I'm, I'm curious if as a result of what we're going to see, if the 4070 Ti is priced in a much more reasonable fashion, like you're saying they're rich, and then you have like 4090, totally bizarre reasonably priced over its you know like gen on gen then you have 4080 not reasonably priced then you have 4070 ti more reasonably priced and then you have this like skipping of like <laughs> like 4090 is fine 4070 ti is fine maybe 4060 is not fine and maybe 4050 is fine like where they kind of make you want to go up to the next level based upon the price 
performance uh, thing. I'm curious if that is something that ends up happening with the full stack, but that's it's going to take a while for the full stack to come out. We, we so don't we'll know see. the pricing for the for the 4070 Ti, right? But I yeah, think yeah. it's pretty much been established now that um, the outrage at 899 means it's not going to be 899. Um, the four, the 3070 was I think 499. Um, so yeah, what how the forty seventy is going to stack up? I guess it will be more expensive, but it it can't be dramatically more expensive if the forty seventy Ti is seven ninety nine. So maybe maybe they'll. I mean, I do I do still think that we're going to be paying more money for our GPUs lower the lower we go down the stack, and that isn't great. And I think something which um, you know was pointed out on our Discord by our supporters is that you know. You know, whatever happened to the two hundred and fifty dollar GPU? Yeah, we we were bemoaning this in the past. Um, I think that we had the um, thirty fifty. I'm not sure what the MSRP was. Um, oh for, gosh, let's look at that up. Yeah, let's have a look at that. But um, it wasn't really a great GPU because it was less performant than the twenty sixty. Yeah, quote unquote which, three. Th- uh, it was 330 and then it dropped to 250. Okay, so 250, mm. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just not a, the, yeah, the, the sort of bang for the buck winner at the 250 price point. I don't think that's it. Um, no. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's still much to play for there. And, and I'm interested to see whether we're actually going to get a good deal at the low end of the stack. That's That's kind of what I've been sort of mulling over since this this situation cropped up john any thoughts uh i mean we talked about this a lot but <clears throat> yeah i mean all i can say is uh it's just a difficult time right now for everyone both and i think that's what's making this extra tense is that you know consumers are feeling this ex- expenses are at a ridiculous point now you know living the cost of living has increased but then the cost of creating these cards has increased so like everybody's being squeezed from all sides and it's just sort of created this nasty bubble where all the pricing stuff just feels kind of uncomfortable and frustrating and i'm sure you know obviously i would side more with with the consumer in this case but i can absolutely understand how the companies themselves are feeling this burn right now and it's uh i i don't know what the solution to this is and when you when you look at something like the 4090 now the card is so powerful like you, you, we've reached those points where like oh man graphics can't get better than this or things can't get faster than this but it's hard to i, I feel like they they've reached the point where that card is so darn fast that it's like outpaced the entire pc industry and it's like i don't like when will we even need a new card to like take over from that one at this point right like we need cpus and memory and storage and everything to catch up a lot more i mean that's where dlss3 kind of comes in where it feels like nvidia was getting tired of waiting on these other bottlenecks and tried to come up with some way to remove those bottlenecks with frame generation so i don't know it's just the market's in a weird place and then when you get back to the stutter struggle stuff which is also keeping things down and i don't know what to think about the current pc gaming uh space right now it's just it's it's such a weird spot and this conversation yeah it's just the cost of everything and just the way it all comes around including the games themselves it's i don't know man i've got i'm gonna uh present the glass half full argument now let's say you've got a pc you know it's a few few years old 
maybe likely based on Ryzen, because a few years back, Intel was just completely off its game <laughs> yeah. to, to an almost hilarious degree. Um, you can upgrade that system now with a 5800X3D, $300 thereabouts. That's a great upgrade for that system. Um, and it puts it back into the game uh, CPU-wise. Now, GPU-wise, I'm looking at Alex's Plague Tale coverage there, yes. where we could get a complete settings match. Going back to this 4070 Ti, conceivably, based on those numbers, uh, you're looking at potentially a 799 product that's basically twice as fast as a PS5. Yeah, in rasterized title. In, in a rasterized. In, in a, yeah, and it will be even faster with ray tracing and more feature rich. And you've got DLSS. So I think there's two ways you can look at this, which is the um, uh, from the upgrade side of things, perhaps things aren't going to be um, quite as expensive relatively compared to a console because the consoles aren't going down in price either. They're, they're going up. They're going um, up as well. Everything's going up. Yeah, so you know, there's 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 various different ways you can look at this, and I do think that the PC side of things, if you've got you know a a, a mainstream system from the last generation, if you can call it that, it still holds up pretty well today. But it's you know you can either go for a console or you can continue to upgrade, and you can get an a, you know an experience that's palpably faster, palpably more feature rich. So you know this value is is not just down to uh, frames per dollar. Uh, something I wanted to, to actually um, bring up was we actually saw some um, benchmarks this week for the RX 7900 XT. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Uh, which didn't look that far off the 7900 XTX, which uh, is quite heartening. Um, mm -hmm. However, um, something which was quite alarming uh, was this use of the word of the phrase up to, up to oh, 1.6 yeah. times performance, which is on the face of it, a massive asterisk to add to that because it's basically saying, yeah, up to this, it could, you know, that could be anything. It could be maybe, you know, split second performance here is, is better. It, is this where they also showed like up to 100 and something FPS and you're like, well, what does that mean? I, I actually um, got in contact with AMD to, to say, you know, what do you, can you clarify this? What does it actually mean? Their explanation is simply that um, up to is because, um, your CPU may not be fast enough to drive a GPU oh. this fast, which make, actually makes a lot of sense okay, based yeah. on what we're seeing with 4090, where, yep. you know, <laughs> that was quite interesting to see the performance differentials between 4080 and 4090 and raster performance were like 30%. But I actually think the 30% is being capped by the speed of today's CPUs. Totally. Uh, I feel like that would have been the better asterisks there, where it's like, uh, say you like, know, they say like, depending on your CPU, you know, just spell it out. Like, like there is a bottleneck here, potentially. Yep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm. So, yeah, I think that, that was worth um, clarifying there because it, up to 1.6x, up to 1.7x could mean anything, right? But yep. the end notes did say uh, performance may change according to the, to the surrounding system. Mm. I think they were okay. testing with a 7900x uh, Ryzen, which is a pretty capable piece of kit. Yeah, um, but sure. yeah, just wanted to get that out there. But I think that's all we've really got to say about the value discussion at the moment. Um, I don't think Nvidia has won with the forty eighty pricing here because yep. some of it just looks kind of crazy, and there isn't 
the, the sellout that everybody said there was. Maybe in the US it's, it has sold better, but certainly as we've discovered in um, in, in Europe and in the UK, uh, the third-party partner cars in particular are crazy prices. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the prices in the, for EU German stuff is just absurd if you look at is. them. Like we were just, I just was laughing the other day with someone about it. I was like, there's, I can't imagine actually buying it. I but this has been the first launch in how many years since the crypto? Because this is the first time a card has launched after crypto basically crashed, right? Uh, hmm. And it's been mining has gone on for a long time, I think, at this point, right? So uh, it's launched into a very different world, and as a result, I suspect that contributes to the lesser demand. Yeah, may well yeah. be the case. Uh, but you know, ultimately, the forty ninety sold out. Um, because it's a killer product. It's a good product. Probably yeah. supply constrained as well. Possibly, yeah. Um, I mean, there's so much going on here. I'm not sure we know the full picture, but it's certainly the case that um, I think value is playing a factor, um, playing a role in the in the, the fact that you can still buy one yeah. when you couldn't with the 4090. Uh, but I think that's all we've really got to say about this one at the moment. And uh, let's move on to the next news topic. Um, we're not going to discuss this one for too long. It's basically a tip of the hat to Gamers Nexus for actually doing mm -hmm. the legwork and coming up with plausible hypotheses and theories that are proven out that actually demonstrate why the 12 volt power connector on the 1490s um, melting in some scenarios. Now, we had a lot of questions about this from supporters saying, you know, what do you think, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is quite difficult because this isn't our area of technical competence, right? So anything that we do say is basically, you know, beyond reporting what we've seen on Reddit primarily, it's just theory crafting and we don't really have anything meaningful to add. It just creates noise, right? Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it seems to be the case that <clears throat> people in the audience kind of want their pound of flesh from NVIDIA and want us to be piling in on them. Um, that's kind of not how it works. Gamers Nexus, I think they deserve a tip of the hat simply because they've done the legwork. They've managed to reproduce the scenarios that actually cause this connector to melt. They've quantifiably identified um, plausible failure rates. I think they're mentioning 0.1% there. And also scenarios that cause the connector to melt and are offering strong advice to users on things to check that to make sure it doesn't happen to their GPU. So yeah, kudos to Steve and his team there. Anything to add on that one, Alex? Uh, no, I just really like the the reporting. It's two like super long videos in a row because they did one before yeah. where they were looking into it. They were just trying to get a, their heads around it and they couldn't reproduce it. And that was like the point of that video. It was like, well, what's going on? We're not seeing the full picture is what they wanted to say with that one. And then they invested even more time into it to get a better and fuller picture and pointing out exactly what the issue is and uh, essentially how you could remedy it. And I think the, the one comment I would have about what should be done is that I do think it is extremely low reproduction rate based upon what they said to the point where like, I'm pretty sure my coffee maker it has a worse, has a worse, has a worse like explosion rate than um, than this product, perhaps higher uh, than point one percent. Well, let's say I've replaced a coffee maker a couple times in my life, to say the least. Um, and uh, the the one thing that I want to point out though is that that doesn't make it acceptable, of course. Um, is the point is I think with a lot of electronics that users are required to install themselves, graphics cards included, they need to be dumb person proof. 
and mm-hmm. that that requires not allowing you know like um improperly nested nested connections to power on uh you know i've seen gpus in the past that that i really like i think it's the asus's gpus where they um they actually have a bright light indicator whether or not the connection is good uh, it's like it goes from red to white things like that um, and not just a tactile snap or something like that, because that could mean a lot of things. Uh, so I, I actually think this is a good lesson learned uh, for companies about how about how, how you should maybe 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 make connectors and things like that yeah, to be yeah, even I've, more. I think it's worth stressing that we aren't saying this isn't a problem, and it doesn't. Right. It, you know, we're not denying its ex- its existence because it clearly exists. The issue is that we you know we aren't best placed to explain why this is happening. Um, whereas Steve and his team at Gamers Nexus, they've got the technical background to actually, you know, put together theories, bring in the correct experts to to properly analyze what's happening. They did, um, you know, they crowdsourced adapters. They had a, you know, they tested a bunch of adapters, um, which you know none of the other uh, sites did, and you know they actually made things melt on the connector. Which, to the best of my knowledge, all of the people piling in with their you know, takes to through their takes weren't able to actually produce a failure. So yeah, that's kind of like the difference between um, I'd say opinion and informed opinion. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, anything to add to that, John? I you mean, saw I, the video. Right? Yeah, I was super impressed with the work that they did to the point where it almost feels like it's the type of internal testing that NVIDIA engineers would be doing on it as well. Likely, right? like yeah. pulling out all the stops to really examine where the point of failure was my kind of conclusion from that really is though that that connector needs work uh yeah it needs to be standard issue right absolutely it needs to be more positively seated that's the sort of you know the, the click needs to be a proper click basically but it did seem to be the case that even when it wasn't in properly it was still working okay, and the the scenarios required to cause a melt seemed to be Requiring not that. in properly by quite a way, and shunted at an angle. <laughs> For sure, there's it, it seems difficult to reproduce, but it's still the fact that you could reproduce it at all. I don't know. It just it it seems like the connector itself just needs a little bit more design work. And I think I saw something about that connector being slightly modified already, or like you know they were. They presented like future plans for some additional safeguards and changes to the way the connector is designed. So we'll see if that actually changes. Um, I'm sure, you know, given the the publicity around this, even though it's not really a huge issue necessarily, as long as you're cautious, I, uh, I'm sure AMD is feeling pretty good about using that old connector style. Yeah, tried and tested, right? But yeah. you know, they aren't put they aren't pulling in massive amounts of power. No, for these no, GPUs. They, they don't comparatively. No, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, interesting stuff. Okay, uh, good stuff. Let's move on to the next news topic. This one's really good news, actually. When we produced our coverage of DLSS three, obviously it's a first generation take on a new form of reconstruction, temporal rather than spatial. Um, it was always going to have uh, teething problems. Still has some, but mm-hmm. one of the major ones has actually been, I'd say, comprehensively addressed. And part of that was, well, it still doesn't officially support VSync, and I can kind of understand why. But yeah. at least now, <laughs> but at least now you have um, uh, G-Sync support that is actually what we would consider proper G-Sync support, right, Alex? Yep. Yeah. So the problem before was that. Um, 
they didn't want you to have full G-Sync support, which, which includes V-Sync because otherwise, if you just turn on G-Sync um, and the frame rate goes above the refresh rate of the monitor, you just see full screen tearing. And that is not a good experience. It is not the quote unquote G-Sync experience that I expect. Um, and so you didn't get that with the LSS3. So if you did turn on V-Sync with, uh, with G-Sync, it would cap the frame rate at your refresh rate, but then would introduce tons of input latency, huge amounts in comparison to what uh, it did without. And that was a, I think it was a big issue. And it was like a big part of my video was to explain like what I think the issue was and why it's a big issue at the end. Um, and this, the Rich did a little bit of testing here. I'm also gonna mention my Miles Morales coverage, which I hope is out by the time this video hits live. It will be, I'm almost done with it. Um, but uh, is that now when you turn on V-Sync in the driver, while you have G-Sync enabled, Reflex is actually working the way it's supposed to. It caps the frame rate a little bit below your refresh rate, which I think at 120 hertz is like 116. Rich? Yeah. Right. Yeah, 116, 117. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw this yesterday with Plague Tale. It's exactly yeah. what it does, 116. Yeah, so yeah, yeah that, that's what it does. And this works obviously well with G-Sync because then it's using a variable refresh at that moment, not the V-Sync refresh. And... Um, Rich, talk about your numbers. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just, my numbers are actually sitting in our Slack conversation, Alex, where... Oh, I need to scroll over. The, there we go. The, the Slack conversation where I'm talking a lot about Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Box, Bo Boxy specifically. Boxy, the best character in BSG. The best character, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, just uh, sort of trying to filter out all of the Battlestar Galactica takes. <laughs> um yeah interesting stuff here which is that basically um if you have uh, as we have 120 hertz 4k screens um frame rate is kind of capped to 116 frames per second so it keeps it within the vrr window mm -hmm. doesn't hit the sort of v-sync hard limit which adds all of this extra unwelcome latency um plague tale uh, seemed to be about 40 millisecond lag um when it when it hit that limit yeah which is not bad at all i don't think i mean it is higher than just running with mm -hmm. uh, dlss2 uh it's about an extra i don't know 15 to 20 milliseconds there based on what i saw um which isn't a you know it isn't a game-breaking experience but bearing in mind that with this game, you're probably more likely just to stick to DLSS 2 on a 4090. It's more the case of what it conceivably means for lower-end GPUs. You know, DLSS 3 suddenly becomes much more of an option because you're taking a, a relatively small latency hit, but you're able to fully exercise a 4K 120Hz screen. Well, yeah, right. uh, so... Uh, Rich, yeah, I will so, say, I, I did play some of this yesterday, and while all the opening stuff held 120 without uh, frame generation... Once I got into that city area, uh, oh, it was right. starting to slip into the like around that's 100 all, FPS, a little that's bit. That's all below. CPU stuff there. It's yeah, super CPU limited. Exactly. Yeah. So the 12900K was bottlenecked there, but DLSS 3 with frame generation was able to overcome that. Yeah, you're mm -hmm. right, Alex, because the C the GPU usage never really went over like 60 percent or no, so not was, at all. But the CPU yeah. kind of hit its limit. But with frame generation, it actually solved that entirely. And with Reflex, it just bounced right back up to 116. And it didn't feel that demonstrably different. And in a game specifically like that, it's not about fast aiming anyway. Uh, it ended up making a slightly better experience. And yeah. obviously yeah. this will be even more true with lower end cards. 
Yeah, absolutely. I can actually see that's actually a really interesting point there, which is that um, in this scenario, with that GPU, frame, gen uh, frame generation is actually giving you consistency. Mm -hmm. um, although I'd say that 100 F F FPS yeah, isn't... It's fine with, 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 with G-Sync. It's not, yeah, <laughs> still. <laughs> but um, yeah, some other things I tested, uh, fully CPU-bound um, Spider-Man with full ray tracing in Times Square, um, that actually did introduce quite a bit of a latency hit, about 20 milliseconds there. Mm -hmm. um, but again, for a game like Spider-Man, I think the point is, is that the, the massive leap in latency you had before, if you engaged hardware level uh, V-Sync, is now gone because it's keeping you within the VRR window. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so it's basically, a, I wouldn't say a triumph, but it certainly makes a good feature eminently more usable now. Uh, for all GPU users. But as I said earlier, I think the lower down the stack you go, the more potent frame generation is going to be. Yeah. And uh, one test that I did do, which actually is um, uh, was, was, was really interesting, was to limit Spider-Man to um, 60 hertz output and to run DLSS frame generation, which would be you know, scaling up from 30, well, actually under 30, I guess, possibly. Yeah, a little bit more technically, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but essentially when we first tested that, that was one of the first things we tested, you know, can it actually do 30 to 60? And, you know, there are issues with it, right, in terms of artifacts at that lower frame rate. Um, but the key problem that we had with it was that the latency was like 200 milliseconds or something crazy, yeah. and it was borderline unplayable. Killzone 2 come... territory. <laughs> Sweet, <laughs> Connect territory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what it actually means now is I actually measured 30 to 60 latency at um, 77 milliseconds. That's so low. Which is, which, which you like, know, you are essentially looking at a 30 FPS. Uh, well, it's better than a console 30 it's FPS. It's better than lag. a console 30 for sure. Uh, that's interesting. <laughs> so, you know, let's, you know, let's sort of extrapolate back to the lower end um, uh, Ada Lovelace cards that are going to be coming. Maybe you do want to, you know, ramp up visual features and you mm -hmm. are at a sort of circa 30, 35 FPS. Um, frame generation will allow you to get a 60 FPS style experience. It will be laggier than, you know, proper 60 frames per second. But let's say you've got a 40, 50. Are you going to be playing at 30 or are you going to be playing at generated 60? The mm -hmm. answer is you'll be playing at generated 60 or taking a massive hit to graphical quality. features, right? Yeah. yeah. That's so, yeah, good stuff, I think. Uh, the one thing I'm curious about, so this is obviously G-Sync with V-Sync, and the, I'm pretty sure the V-Sync implementation, if you don't have a G-Sync monitor, is uh, it just V-Syncs, and you'll get the increased It'll still be laggy, right? It'll still be the increased latency version of that. And depending upon the game, it could be not bad or very bad. Um, so that's the one thing, and I'm curious if that is ever solvable uh, at all due to the way how V-Sync works, or maybe it requires an entire, entirely different monitor, like the G-Sync monitor, essentially. I'm curious if that is something that they can still solve at all. Because currently, right now, uh, I'd say you definitely want a G-Sync monitor if you are using DLSS3, not yeah, necessarily. I think we've got to test as to whether you know G-Sync compatible, i.e. FreeSync works mm -hmm. as well. I don't see why it shouldn't. I think it'd be fine. I think it'd be fine. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, this is this is a a big upgrade um for uh, PC users and DLSS3 in general. Mm -hmm. And it comes at the right time as the lower end cards 
uh, start to filter in and um, yeah, it's, it's all good stuff. Um, I think that's all we've really got to say about that at the moment. I do want to test, and I have got it coming in, the uh, Samsung Odyssey Neo G8, I believe it's called, Ooh, which is a 4K 240Hz screen. There's been lots of conjecture about how um, NVIDIA can't do 240Hz 4K because of display point, display port 1.4. But you can use lossless compression to, to achieve that. I want to test it. I want to see whether we can actually see the full might of frame generation with a 4090. Yeah, right. extreme high frame rates. I'm but, really excited by yeah, that. Yeah, because like right now you're comparing, like when you said like, oh, the added latency is what it is um, versus the V-Sync presentation below the, the refresh rate. But what is it actually like in the scenario where both are completely uncapped, but both are below 240 hertz, which a lot yeah, of it will be. be. That's actually a really interesting point because uh, then it's just additive at that point. Yeah. Basically, the higher the frame rate you go, um, the lower your win in terms of latency. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So if you are able to just uncap frame rate, you should see, you know, maybe a, a few milliseconds, you know, up to 10 millisecond difference, just theory theorizing at the moment until I actually mm -hmm. get the, the, the monitor. But yeah, I'd be very interested to test that. Uh, let's quickly move on to our final news topic. We've done a lot of news this week. Oh, um, yeah. John, you wanted to talk about the new Pokemon on Switch, Pokemon rather, Yeah. Uh, Violet and Scarlet. <laughs> uh, it's fair to say that I think this is one of the first times where a game has had such poor technical performance that um, mainstream reviewers are picking up on it and saying it's not good enough. Um, yeah. But apparently the the, <laughs> the baying mob on Twitter may disagree with you, or at least some of it. No, I think most most people seem to agree. Uh, I, but it's, so a, I, it's a kid's game, John. Why are you applying that's, technical okay, that's funny. critiques? Because <laughs> when I was a kid, game. most of the games I was playing ran at 60 frames per second. Just saying. <laughs> that's that's, that's true. a burn. That's a burn. Uh, no, um, so I think Tom has uh, expressed interest in doing the video on this. I think Oliver's going to be doing it, actually. <clears throat> Oliver's going to do it? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. All right, well, Oliver great. then. He's, he's, Oliver. he's available. Uh, Tom's on uh, Warzone. So. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Gotcha. Okay, okay well... Basically, I was a little bit shocked to see this again, and I wanted to mention it just because we know that Pokemon is one of the most popular intellectual properties in the world, right? They make a remarkable amount of money on this thing. And it's, but when you look at the technical performance of their games, I'm just, it's been poor for years, right? And it was yeah. poor earlier this year as well with Arceus or however you want to say that. But uh, this one, just some of the issues that it's launched with, it's kind of blowing my mind that such a large scale product can release like this. Um, so the frame rate itself is very unstable, right? And it's like, okay, that's not good, but that th happens. Mm -hmm. But there's so many visual bugs. There's issues with transitions, uh, cameras clipping through the world, things falling out of the world. You know, you'll see stuff like completely disappear. Uh, unload then reload right in front of your eyes they use like time slicing on animation like uh, very aggressively like you'll be running around you've got like pokemon or other characters right next to you while running across the map and sometimes they'll appear to update it like five or ten fps versus your character uh it just looks sloppy and ugly and just the, the design of the world i mean 
technically speaking, aside from the use of normal maps and shadow maps and some shader stuff, it really looks like a game that's technically from like 2001. Yeah, it's pretty right? rough. But with even worse performance than you'd expect. <laughs> well, it's a 20-year-old game. 19-year-old yeah. game. But John's got pro- some comparisons. So the problem mm-hmm. here, though, is... I don't think the visual style is bad and it can it can look nice at times but this just feels like another case where they they architected the game wrong they're trying the visual style and the performance doesn't match where it should be and I don't I, I it's just baffling and thinking about it more and more I I get this feeling that what we're seeing is the result of Game Freak the actual developer being pushed to their absolute limits by the Pokemon company that is clearly demanding too many games too quickly, uh, and they just don't have the engineering capabilities to make this work. Like it's insane that they're actually able to build all these games in the time frame that they're doing here, right? Like they're on like a Madden schedule almost, possibly worse this year. Uh, I feel for them. I suspect if you investigated the Game Freak, you'd see some pretty nasty crunch going on. I don't know that for sure. But that's the sense I get. This is a game that feels like it's shipped and just it's just not ready. But people love it because the gameplay is quite solid. It does evolve the formula in some interesting ways, including battles that take place directly on the map. But you can definitely see the knock-on effect of that as well. Uh, and I just this is not a this is not really a Nintendo game, right? This is this is Game Freak and the Pokemon Company. Nintendo's involved, but it's not really a Nintendo game. And it really shows the the difference between Nintendo's own first party efforts versus what Game Freak can accomplish. And I'm just surprised that we haven't seen another team or somebody step in to like aid these guys. Like with the with the number of Pokemon games they pump out, it almost feels like it would behoove them to have a dedicated tech team, right? Like a tech center that all they do is work on their engine and maintaining the tools and the pipelines for the developers actually making the games, trying to improve efficiency and quality and just... Mm-hmm. But it seems like they're just not there. And I, I'm legit shocked. Like this is after I covered the Sonic Sonic Frontiers port on Switch, which I thought was pretty bad, <laughs> but it's better than this, I would say. Uh, uh, yeah, and this is a game that's only launching on Switch. I mean, when you're sub 720p, it looks like in docked, and your frame rates like so unstable, and you've got all these weird loading issues, and the animations running at like 10 fps, and textures that that look. I mean it. Yeah, they there are the word there, texture. There are there are original Xbox games that are more visually striking than this. And yeah. yes, the scale is fairly large, but I don't really think that's an excuse in this case. Uh, I don't know. Just some of the decisions they make, I just mm. it's super disappointing to see that they're able to do this, and I it's so out of step with like Nintendo themselves. I always feel is a shining example of accomplishing amazing feats on relatively meager hardware they are perfectly capable of like they find this visual target that's the exact right fit for the hardware they're building and then they try to make that as performant as possible and you usually end up with something that feels super polished and solid Mm -hmm. uh and it's that's just not what you get with pokemon and yeah it's just people been saying it for a while and it's just I really thought this one might break the trends and some of the original trailers looked kind of nice, but it does not. 
Well, that's a nice way to end uh, <laughs> the news section this week. Bit of a bummer. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've just seen some clips on Twitter. I haven't seen anything about the game um, beyond that, but I am looking forward to our coverage. Um, but certainly, yeah, I think the thing to bear in mind, it's a point you you really made well there, John, which is that Nintendo is kind of like the home of, of technical competence, you know, Big time. in terms of what they're able to extract from the Switch. It's, it's quite remarkable. So to see those standards not being applied to, you know, such a huge franchise, it's disappointing. Let's move on to our final part of the show. It's a supporter Q&A. This is where every week we put out a call to questions on our uh, call for questions to our supporters on our Patreon. And we get a bunch of uh, really interesting stuff every week. We choose some of the best. Never have time to do all of them. But let's get going. This one from Tagon86. Uh, why do we never see an isotropic filtering settings above 16 times? <laughs> Shouldn't a setting above 16 increase image quality? Alex, what do you think of this? Because I personally can't really tell the dif- tell the difference between eight and sixteen times. Eight and sixteen requires like a very flat texture, pretty far yeah. into the distance. Um, a uh, the reason why you don't see it is because anisotropic filtering is a hardware feature generically. Um, so the hardware supports different modes, and you know there's like interpolation modes. It's like that's not the real texture there. Um, and that's what it's doing, and they're relying on those hardware modes to keep anisotropic filtering fast, and it supports up to 16x. It's the same reason why in the past, when there was 2, 4, 8, X, MSAA, and then rarer modes, depending upon your hardware, for like CSAA, da-da-da-da. It's that reason. Um, you could do 32x in like a separate shader or something like that, or you could do some other sort of way to do that, but I don't think it would be worth the performance cost at all. Uh, and if you want the equivalent of higher anisotropic filtering, downsample, uh, which yeah. will give you higher anisotropic filtering quality. So I think that's interesting yeah. because uh, the port of Doom 64 from Night Dive is a perfect example of this in action, not with anisotropic filtering specifically, but texture filtering, right? Where they implemented that tri-point texture filtering that the N64 does in hardware in a shader. Uh, and it's because, you know, graphics cards don't natively support that method of filtering their textures. So they had they ended up doing what is effectively lower quality texture filtering on purpose because it's how the art was designed using a technique that technically requires more hardware power. And that's Quite what we more probably. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we'd see with this. If you're doing 32x, you probably wouldn't be able to see the difference and it would cost a lot more for that intangible difference so yeah super intangible no reason it's not worth it, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. 64x it's the future AF, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, next question from tortoise uh, in a couple of alex's videos the ryzen 5 3600 was, was used as the closest substitute to the playstation 5 cpu due to only 6.5 of the ps5 cores being available to games why are only 6.5 out of eight ps5 cores available while pc can use its utilize its CPU to the full extent. One would, one would assume the overhead of the PS5 OS should be less, not more demanding than the full desktop class OS mm. of Windows and that the PlayStation <laughs> 5 would provide better hardware utilization. Uh, I guess I could answer this one. I think it's about quality of service. Basically, the you know the operating system on PlayStation 5 is given these resources 
So, you know, it, it's always consistent performance. It always works. Secondly, um, I believe that apps can stay in memory, resident in memory and resident, you know, working on the CPU simultaneously with titles. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, an OS overhead is is there for a whole bunch of reasons that it's not on a PC. Uh, but Alex, what does happen on PC? Basically, the OS sort of drops into a kind of background mode, right? Yeah, when it's when it's not the active app on screen, I mean, obviously, some things can, like, if for some reason you scheduled an antivirus scan or something like that. Oh, why yeah. you, honestly, I don't know why people use antivirus software anymore. I haven't since maybe 2010. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, take note, you know, hackers. Take note, yeah. Find me. Uh, <laughs> but um, I'm behind, like, six different uh, proxies. You'll never find me. But uh, as a joke. Um, but no, but seriously, the OS is not doing much, actually, when you're gaming. In the background, uh, you can see that just by looking at generic utilization of your hardware using RTSS, or if you wanted running Task Manager in a windowed mode as well. You'll see that the when the when the hardware when you're not doing too much with an OS, it's actually not doing too much to your CPU, and that's one of the reasons I'm PC. But back in the day, actually, um, back in the day means maybe Windows Seven. They introduced or was it Windows 8? They introduced game mode for a certain period of time, and you could toggle that. And the game mode, at least the original implementation of game mode, did what a console does. It would purposely sector off two CPU cores, two CPU threads. I I don't know, maybe it could have been logical threads. Uh, And it would say, game has no longer access to that. And those are only used for CPU stuff. uh, Windows stuff. So you could have actually labbed that uh, similar behavior back with the old version of game mode. I actually don't know if game mode really exists in the current state that it does that anymore. I actually don't think it does. Um, I would maybe have to test that, which would be cool to test. Uh, but that's also the reason why. Uh, and in general, I use that c- CPU because it's also a great price performance thing. And I talked about that in the Gotham Knight video, where I said, like, this was the price performance leader for a while, and everyone bought one. It's such a popular CPU, if you just look at YouTube comments under our videos. Uh, So that's also another reason why I use it in there. It's not just the near equivalence for a couple of things. But we are finding it's finding its limits. Yeah, know. we totally are. Uh, <laughs> Spider-Man Remastered, it's better Gotham than Miles Morales. Uh, I'll talk about that in the video I made. I don't know. Um, and uh, also, what was another game where I... Th- oh, that was it. It was Call of Duty Black Ops 7? I don't know. Uh, the, the Cold War. <laughs> There's been so many of them. Cold War, that's what it was. And that, on the Broken Arrow level, I think it was called third level, second level of the game, takes place like in Vietnam or Cambodia, I don't recall, um, where if you have uh, Ray Trace Shadows on, or just Ray Tracing in general there, the, the game will definitely probably drop below 60 FPS on Ryzen 5 3600. And conveniently, it's the only level in the game where they turn off ray tracing on console. Yeah, um, I think that's Fractured Jaw. Fractured Jaw, sorry, yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of, you know, like Guns of Navajo, like all these names or, or whatever. It's Neverone, Guns of Neverone. Um, yeah. Uh, that's an interesting uh, CPU, but I don't know. Maybe in the future, if we di- if I did have access to different CPUs, because I have a limit here, uh, maybe I would replace it with something else uh, for the mid-range test spec at some point. We'll mm-hmm. see. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, just one thing before we move on there. There's also uh, allocated memory to the OS as well on the consoles. Right? Yeah. I mean, this is the data from launch. It might have changed, but... Um, 
you get 12.5 gigs of available memory on PlayStation 5. I think it's something like 13.5 or 13 on Xbox Series. And also, I think the thing that surprises me about the 6.5 cores, again, that's launch information that might have changed, um, is that that's a lot of CPU resources for a Zen processor, a Zen 2 processor to be doing essentially the OS and background tasks, uh, which surprises me. And, uh, and Microsoft, again, they kind of paired that back because they didn't think they needed it. So um, it was just one core and two threads that are reserved for um, background tasks on that's Xbox interesting. series. Um, that, that could also have perhaps due to, this is just theory, this is nothing proven. Um, it's just, you know, PlayStation 5 uses SmartShift, and uh, maybe if another CPU part of that core was uh, used for games and it was, you know, like a really hardcore game was actually um, utilizing that CPU quite a bit, maybe it would lead to less stable uh, GPU clocks as a result. That's just another yeah, thing. Good point. They, have different, they, have different, they have different power concerns on PlayStation I 5. I mean, I'm pretty sure this is just literally console versus PC, where on PC they let you sort of, it's like, you, it's up to you. But on the console, they want to guarantee a minimum level of performance for the OS tasks, especially because users are, you use the OS layer for a lot of things within the game from, you know, multiplayer stuff, voice chat to doing all those weird yeah. tasks that they added to PS5. All this stuff is done at the OS level and they just want to make sure it's fast and not like, say, when they added the cross media bar to PS3 as an accessible oh, yeah. in-game thing and it runs terribly. <laughs> yeah, that was and crazy. you still have to quit out of the game anyway to do anything on there. It's horrible. So yeah, yeah. And in terms of a reserved memory on Xbox Series S, there was that announcement recently. They've given more memory to titles, and the way they do that is by you know if you don't need certain OS level features, you can disable them and claw the memory back. It's like Vita. Mm -hmm. It is like yeah. Vita. Oh. Absolutely, yeah. Let's move on to the next question. This one from Leftist Hominid. As the year winds down, different outlets are considering who will win their Game of the Year award. Elden Ring appears to be a frontrunner for many outlets. Do you think it's appropriate for a game, even if it's a really good game, to be given this award if it has such atrocious performance? I'm not oh. sure it has atrocious performance. It's just subpar. It's not quite yeah. subpar. So the thing about Elden Ring is that there are ways to mitigate this if you have the right display, right? Like Elden Ring is a front runner for me. And, but if I didn't have the ability to play it with VRR and basically erase those issues so that it looks completely smooth, uh, it probably wouldn't be, I would have probably been a lot more distracted by it. So I don't think Elden Ring specifically crosses that bar necessarily, but I do think if technical performance is poor to, a, there's a certain point where once you cross over and the technical performance becomes a real issue, then yeah, it would probably detract from the overall experience. I mean, so, you had a lot of fun with Elden Ring, right? Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I think it's it's just it's one of the best games I've played in a long time. I would say mm -hmm. I really really like it. But there's but I'm not going to deny that it has technical issues. It's just uh, again with with a VR display on the Xbox Series X, it's very consistent for me. I would say. But not everybody has that experience. And I mean, you know, if I was stuck playing on like an Xbox One with bad frame pacing and it was just like, I probably wouldn't like it as much. <laughs> It'd be harder <laughs> yeah, to overlook those issues. Yeah, it's not even just bad. Isn't that like 20 FPS at some oh, point? Oh, it's, it's Xbox slow. One? It's, it's, it's terrible really on there. Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Our next question Diego Elway asks hello df i wanted to know if i was the only person worried about dlss and even more so dlss3 i feel that if this tech becomes even more widely used 
developers are just going to use it as the crutch it seems to already be. Will games be developed around the fact that they can depend on these techniques? Will GPU makers, especially Nvidia, stop increasing raw graphics compute performance in lieu of a more advanced AI suite? I've never not had an RTX GPU since getting back into PC gaming in 2019 and have a 4090 paired with a Ryzen 7700X currently. I still do not love the idea of DLSS in general and especially dislike the idea of DLSS 3. Only Cyberpunk has made me use the feature as I play 4K with no optimized settings. Even with cutting edge hardware, we're still not a locked 4K60 in AAA games. We can ill afford to leave it to AI. Wait, does this imply, to, to me this reads like a question where he's like, I don't like the AI because it looks worse. But I feel like we've generally found that DLSS often looks better than just like native res. Yeah, but depending so, on the mode, right? Yeah, but, yeah. You know, but I think DLSS even, quality, I think, looks better often than native res. Usually it does in a lot of games. Uh, with like small asterisks there for depending upon like if there's an error and or if you're staring directly at a ray trace reflection, depending upon the game. Once again, it's different per game. Um, so I'm just going to like... I think John and I and Rich, we all have something to say about this. Um, I just like, well, the thing is, why should we expect our hardware in the first place? I want to start with the last thing. Why should we expect hardware in the first place to just arbitrarily run games at 4K60 that are AAA or whatever? It is a completely arbitrary. There's no, there's no guarantee of that ever. And I think it's better if they don't, uh, because then it leaves uh, the option uh, for quote unquote good ultra settings where they have meaningful impact on uh, like the visual presentation and uh, they're not limited by what our current perhaps lackluster hardware can do. And if you play the game later on in the future, you have this awesome ultra settings experience a couple of years later, crisis, etc. I love that kind of stuff. And I dislike the idea of having, of limiting our heart, our I don't know, game settings to be some sort of arbitrary um, thing where they just run at 4K60. And that's why DLSS is so cool because for those people who want to get a taste of that ultra experience now, DLSS enables it with minor um, image quality detriments. And I think this is why it's so good. I think devs aren't using it as a crutch. Um, at all they're they enabling the technology in the first place to be utilized like super hardcore math trace graphics like cyberpunk overdrive or uh minecraft rtx without dlss you'd be looking at a straight 1080p or 1440p presentation on like an ampere card would you rather have that or would you rather have like a 4k presentation on that with those graphics i think the answer is obvious I think um, from my perspective, the, the concept that a game has to address <laughs> 8 million pixels per frame uh, is, is kind of limiting. And mm -hmm. in this respect, DLSS is a, a liberating factor, right? It basically enables you to um, emphasize quality of pixels rather than quantity of pixels, and you get better looking games as a result. Um, I'd rather play Control with RT than without RT, and the best way mm -hmm. to enjoy the experience is with DLSS and higher frame rates, right? That's my take on it. So, yeah, um, I, I, I do kind of see where he's coming from, though, in that some games now, um, specifically Cyberpunk, um, if you turn on RT, it basically forces on DLSS at the same time, and you have to turn it off if you don't want it. Um, so, but even so, you know, 
it's it's still a really good looking game. It took a while to get there, I guess, you know, to make DLSS really shine there. But I wouldn't play it without it. Um, mm -hmm. Thoughts on this one, John? I mean, pretty much what I said before. I'm just a little bit confused as to what they're implying here. It seems like they really don't like AI upscaling or these techniques, but they don't pinpoint why, right? Oh, I mean, the only implication point. I can see from this is that he thinks it looks worse. Uh, but right. uh, I don't really agree with that. And so it's <laughs> okay. hard to really respond to this. Like, I, I don't think, I think this is actually good for image quality. It's almost like there's people that argue that, well, I want native 4K because it's native 4K and they don't actually care about what they're seeing on screen. It's more about the fact of it being something versus what you actually experience, mm -hmm. you know? Like, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a weird one. Yeah. I mean, no, no, yeah. you know, no disrespect meant there, Diego. Like if, if you really truly don't like the look of that, uh, that's fine. I mean, maybe some people do actually prefer like ultra sharp pixels, even if it's extremely noisy and aliased. Uh, I, you know, I know, I know people like that. Even with, uh, there's a subset of people that want no TAA. They just want those raw pixels with shimmering everywhere. That's what they want. And that's fine. Like, if that's yeah. what they want, that's cool. Well, you know, to be fair to Diego, he's putting his money where his mouth is. 4090 there. 4090. Yes. Um, yeah. If, if you're going to go native, you can't do better at the moment. Okay. Uh, final question. Hello, gentlemen. This question's from mm, Chili Con Carne. Uh, hello, gentlemen. My question is simple. When will Audi be released from Rich's basement and start appearing in videos again? First of all, Audi hasn't been in my basement for some time. Uh, <laughs> guys, guy, guys had COVID three times. He's like the monkey from Outbreak. He's not, he's, 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 he's not coming anywhere near my house or my dungeon. Uh, but John, you, you may be able... Is he in your dungeon? What's going on there? No, not you... in my dungeon, but we actually do have some stuff planned. Uh, we filmed a video recently. We're filming another one today. And then I think next week or whenever you guys watch us, it might have already occurred. Mm -hmm. We are planning a live stream. Uh, we'll be doing streaming Atari 50 with Mike Micah. I'm talking about wow. that. That'll be really fun because Atari 50 is incredible. Like it's really, it's worth looking at. It's super cool. Uh, yeah, we have some other stuff planned coming up. So, but obviously, you know, as, as you know, he works at limited run games now as the day job and, you know, kind of, with us on the side so he's involved with df retro as well as obviously mark and Corey from my life in gaming and all four of us are just doing various projects together in the background so it's mm -hmm. kind of that's kind of the state of it i guess but you know the good news for Audi, no dungeons anymore no more dungeons it's free, <laughs> no more dungeons. Dungeons. <laughs> free as a bird out there uh yeah <laughs> out there free to get covid exactly. as many times as he likes <laughs> okay that's it that's the end of the show please do like subscribe share if you enjoyed the content and of course ring the bell for those notionally instant notifications uh see i say notionally but it seems to have been pretty good recently well recently, i mean uh, when, when we put the sonic video live it was still set to pro to what unlisted so yeah everybody so was like where's the notifications and a lot be... of people responded saying richard always says notionally instant notifications that's <laughs> Oh, yeah. you cover so, your butt, but in Richard. that case that was user error oh well you know. <laughs> but still <laughs> you're covering still. yourself right here in this part yeah, of the that, show every that week. is my disclaimer <laughs> uh but yeah df supporter program so much going on there so much early access at the time of of 
of recording this, we've got two videos on there, Early Access, which should be feeding out over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Tons going on, bonus material, uh, tons of DF Retro. It's, it's all awesome. DF Retro Final Fantasy 13 episode, I'm going to be uh, promoting that again because it's awesome and it's ex- exclusive to Retro tier supporters until, I guess, uh, December sometime, right, John? Yeah, I still need to uh, do the split still adapt. Because, you know, mm-hmm. we, we typically shorten them and do it in multiple chunks just mainly because like uh super long videos on a channel that doesn't always post super long videos you you, you get more drop off you know you absolutely know so it's it's better to kind of break it up a little bit to make it more mm-hmm. reasonable but mm-hmm. if you're a retro supporter you you can watch that now and you could have been watching it for the last couple of weeks oh my. um but yes that's everything that's all we've got for the for you this week and i guess being a weekly show we'll see you next week <laughs>